Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hi, this is Anna David. You're listening to Recover Girl. It's a podcast about addiction recovery and using your dark to find your light. I am your host, and that's obvious since I am the one talking. Uh, This is a podcast that's kind of been around a minute. You know, it started off with just interviews with people in person, live in person, asking them about their addiction and recovery. Took a brief foray into talking to people about other issues. Now we're back talking, well, a lot of talking to people about addiction and recovery, but it's it, we're in a transition time. And you know that because this podcast used to be every other week. Now it's twice a week. Sometimes there are episodes that are snippets from my live storytelling show. Sometimes they're snippets from my Facebook lives that I do every Tuesday at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. You want to check that out, go to facebook.com slash Anna B. David. Speaking of Facebook... Do you want to message me? I have a cool surprise for you if you do. Message me on Facebook at m.me slash Anna B. David. Now, if you're driving, don't, don't sit there and take out a pen and write this down, although I love you for caring that much. Just remember, or maybe you're at the stoplight now, it's m.me slash Anna B. David. Yeah, or you can just go to my page and message me from there. Facebook.com slash Anna B. David. Let's get into it. Today's episode is one of those ones that's from my Facebook Live interviews. So the sound isn't perfect, but it's a great interview. It's with my friend Garrett Hayde. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes, you may know Ryan Hampton, or maybe you just know Ryan Hampton because the dude's out there a lot. He's one of my closest friends. Garrett is his right hand and his left hand. They're best friends. But officially, Garrett is the LA Outreach Coordinator for Facing Addiction. He travels with Ryan all over. They are like, they are like Tonto and whatever of the addiction recovery space. Uh, they, they're amazing guys. He's in recovery himself. Uh, he and Ryan started something called D4 Strategy. They met in there in treatment. Uh, if you listen to the previous episode with Ryan, he talks about how Garrett saved his life. And I was sitting there with him and he got a little teary. Uh, but um, Garrett and Ryan are together changing uh, the way treatment is done, uh, cr- helping to crack down on treatment centers that are completely shady and um, really uh, changing the perception of addiction and recovery out there. He's a complete doll and he's usually a little bit behind the scenes as Ryan kind of takes center stage. So it is my pleasure, it was my pleasure to interview Garrett on Facebook and it is now my pleasure to give you this interview. So this is Garrett Hayde. Well, hi guys, I'm Anna David. Uh, Welcome 
to my show. Maybe this needs a name. I'm here with one of my new favorite people, Garrett Hade. I can't remember how. Oh, yeah, look, look at him. And and I'm excited to do this because Garrett and I, Garrett, when you say we've been around each other a lot, yeah. we're holding my head the same size as yours, but but we haven't spoken directly that much. And what better opportunity is there for us to speak than with other people watching, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't know if absolutely. you ever. I think you're too young to have ever seen Truth or Dare, uh, but. But Madonna says there's no point in having a conversation unless there's a camera on you. So that's really what we're doing. Well, um, I don't know about a camera on me all the time, but. Look at that mug, it should be. Okay, oh, oh look, Kyle. Kyle's here. Yay. Hi, Kyle. Um, so Garrett Haid is uh, somebody who in a, in a very, very short period of time has managed to make a huge impact in terms of the recovery advocacy movement. Um, and um, I'm going to let Garrett give his official introduction, but in under three years of sobriety, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you've been able to accomplish. Sure. Um, so my name is Garrett. I'm a person in uh, long-term recovery. And for me, that means I haven't used uh, drugs or alcohol since March 3rd, 2015. Um, my title, I guess you want to call it, or what, what I have actually done in the last two and a half years I'm sure everybody is well aware of uh, who Ryan Hampton is, but that is my uh, best friend, business partner, roommate. Uh, we've kind of been like inseparable for the last five years. So um, I am not a person who's exactly comfortable being on cameras, and Ryan, of course, is. But uh, my roles have been, uh, you know, I'm sorry. You're you're breaking up for me. I don't know if you guys uh, chime in and let us know if you can hear Garrett. I'm not sure. Um, let us know, Kyle. You guys, the other people who are here, um, I could I, I I could fill in some of the blanks, but um, just in case anybody didn't didn't get that, um, you know, uh, Garrett is somebody who works with Ryan Hampton, who has been featured previously on this. Um, and, and Garrett is very much the sort of behind the scenes guy. And he just said that it's sort of his nightmare to be on camera, which is kind of great when you're the person who is helping his nightmare come true. Um, but, and, and I think that that's very interesting too, because you know I've become really close with Ryan and, um, and I didn't really get to hear you talk much. I mean, you come to my shows. Uh, I didn't get much of an opportunity to hear you talk until recently and I was like, Oh my God, like I relate to everything he's saying. So I don't know if this is my intervention where I'm saying, Garrett, come out um, and talk more publicly. But I, because I think you have a lot to say and I think you're a very effective behind the scenes guy, but it wouldn't hurt to get you out there more. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and uh, I, it was Ryan who actually kind of inspired me to first tell my story and it gave me power to like, come out as a person in recovery. I was very apprehensive to do it. I didn't want to do it. And um, a lot of it had a hold on me, especially about uh, being arrested multiple times or being convicted felon and all these things would like weigh down on me when I would talk about them. And, uh, you know, seeing Ryan go out there and, and be brave about it and seeing people like Anna do it, like you and, and everybody else, it kind of just gave me the, I'm more than willing to talk about it if given the opportunity. It's just something that I'm still working on. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, it's a huge passion of mine to to help people share their stories and in the process, not just help destigmatize, but help them break the stigma around themselves. You know, I personally have found a lot of healing, not just from writing about my experiences, but from sharing them and having people react to them. So what would you tell people who are struggling? I get emails from people all the time who want to write about their recovery and are scared they want to do it under a pen name. Um, what would you recommend for people like that? Uh, I mean, the only thing I can really recommend is to just do it. Like, that's all I did. I, I listened to people that were like, I, I, like you see somebody, it was the anonymous people when that first came out and me and Ryan were sitting down and, and uh, at the end of the movie, the, the, uh, the Eminem song plays, it's like, I'm not afraid. And me and Ryan were sitting there like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like people are actually out there and talking about this. And it, what it did for me is when I did it, I, my best advice is to just do it because like all of a sudden, like uh, my mom started to talk to me about this and we, and she, she, she still asked me, you know, she'd be like, are you really a drug addict? Is that, is that what the word, like, are you a drug addict? And I'm like, no mom, uh, you know, I'm a person in recovery now. I, that was the life that I lived. That's kind of what I was trapped in. But you know, now my sister, she's written about it for Ryan. And she, you know, she's told about her end of, of, of what she had to witness as me going through that. And uh, it, it has empowered my family, my friends, uh, and myself. So the best advice I can say is just do it because you will, you'll be really surprised, you know, how many people will support you once you, you know, takes the fear and the power out of everything. I'm so glad you, there are so many things you brought up that I think are important. First of all, I will say at my first book, my first book is about addiction. And at my book party, my mom came up to me and was like, I just met your friend's father. Her, his son is a drug addict. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, mom, so am I. That's what my entire book is about. And she was just like, no, 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 a real drug addict. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I know, I know what that is. Um, but, but I'm so glad you brought up talking to family members because I think it is very, very hard for people who are not suffering or have not struggled with addiction to actually understand what it is because there are so many misconceptions out there. And I do think, you know, the storytelling that I teach people to do in rehabs is about learn how to talk about it so that you can explain it to the yeah, people. Exactly. Um, did, does your family have any, uh, wariness about you coming out and talking about all of this stuff, like that it reflects on them? I, I don't think so anymore. My, my sister was never afraid to say it. Um, and once I was in recovery, she wasn't and knew I was okay. She wasn't afraid. My mom was a little more apprehensive. She sounds a lot like your mom because like she, when she said that drug out, she like whispered it to me. There's nobody around, but she's like, <laughs> You know, um, so it, it's, uh, I, 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 uh, I'm sorry. What was the question again? No, it's good. They're just like, like, okay. Cause I know my mom has a thing. A little bit of her is like, I gave birth to a drug addict. You know what I mean? Where she has this thing that it's, that it reflects on her. Yeah. And you know, it's, my mom doesn't tell my family, like I would go, she, I'd be doing really bad, but somehow I'd be on four vacations a year. So like, you know, like my, my, where's Garrett? Oh, he's traveling. And like, he travels a lot. He's not really doing much. Right. Like, how does he travel so much? And that's because I was in treatment or in jail. Um, but now she actually can tell people that, oh, he really is traveling. You know, he's, he's doing things. And 
And so she she is a little more open to speak about it. My my sister is too. Uh, yeah, they. I don't. I think me being okay with talking about it has really allowed them to. And then my mom now can talk about my dad's problem. My dad passed away over a decade ago as a result of alcoholism. But I never knew he was sober because we hid everything. But I didn't know that he was, you know, uh, a person in recovery for over a decade. And then he did uh, have a reoccurrence abuse. I didn't know any of this until I found recovery. And then the family kind of started discussing things and, and, it, you know, it led to his death, um, but we talk about it now, and, and that's kind of like me coming out and saying it was okay to talk about. Like, in my struggles, she was like, okay, well, your father had a problem. He had a problem with alcohol. He had a problem with sleeping pills and, and gambling, and we discuss these things now. It's not like a shameful discussion anymore. I think that's – I've almost never heard of somebody having a sober parent and not knowing that that person was no sober. Idea. No idea. I've had, it was a crazy story. Uh, I was traveling to Florida and my sister's, uh, one of her old friends was like, you know, uh, she's in recovery now too. And we've connected and she's like, you know, I used to go into your parents' room and she'd be, you know, would take things and uh, in her uh, disease. And she'd be like, and I, I used to see your dad. She didn't know what they were at the time either, but she used to see the medallions and the, the, the tokens of, of time. And uh, Hey Miles, it's my sponsor. Um, oh, I remember Miles. Oh, hey, hey, hey. We all had dinner a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but she, so she, I, and this was in recovery that I found out that he had that and I didn't know any of that before. And then I, I was able to sit down with his oldest friend who was like, yeah, me and your dad struggled with gambling addictions and we were in recovery from it for a long time. I think this is another interesting point, you know, because we are of the generation. I'm going to call us the same generation. Why not? I'm a Gen Xer. I think you're a millennial. But still, we are of the group yeah. that uh, is is talking about things that, you know, and our parents talked about a lot more, at, at least in my family, than their parents did. Yeah. But I, too, had addiction in my family, and I had no idea. No idea. At all. And, you know, I think that's another thing about sharing our stories is that we're helping to break the patterns. You know, first of all, getting sober is helping to break the patterns. But I think it's such an interesting thing that you can actually almost go back in time and heal because you're now getting this information about your dad. Yeah. Um, and, okay, and so a lot of the work that you do, will you describe the day-to-day -day work that you guys are doing? <laughs> so... Um, day to day, it changes all the time. Um, you know, I, managing multiple social platforms at a time, you, you look at our, our office spaces, uh, space, there's just computers everywhere. And it's like Ryan's page and facing addiction and, and addiction X America and the voices project. So we're always scrolling the news. We're always going through the voices project. We're trying to, uh, determine who's going up that day and blah, blah, blah. But that's like continuously every single day. Recently, like last weekend, we got in the car. Uh, Chad Sabora came and visited us, and we went to sober livings and, and treatment centers. And uh, Chad uh, donated his time, you know, thank God for him, uh, and taught how to appropriately use and administer Narcan. And, uh, you know, some things like that where we met with congresswomen to talk about, you know, treatment reform and, and patient brokering and, and, uh, Another day-to-day -day was just traveling to Alaska and, and visiting those things. So my, my schedule changes all the time. I'm really blessed that I get to travel and, and, and meet so many people in recovery and uh, learn how 
different modalities, act in different places. It's, it's, a, it's an experience. Well, and I really, as I started off saying, it's I am so impressed with what you guys have been able to accomplish. Um, you know, I remember I met you two about a year and a half ago. I mean, that was that's a minute in in life. And, you know, it's like, oh, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'm like, okay, do you know how many people come to me and, and say yeah. that? And we, know, were, we came to plant the plants at uh, the Rain of V. And Ryan's like, no, we're getting on a bus and we're leaving. And we did. Here, I was there being a good person. It was actually an amazing <laughs> thing. Ted Collins, our friend who started Mober, this amazing uh, app for sober people, he and I worked together to help. Uh, do landscape a rehab, you know, that, that a free rehab. And here you guys stroll along just to come and schmooze, you know, hold prowl <laughs> for a second. Um, no, and I think, and, and so I, I saw, I saw the go-getterness. Um, I think one can be in this industry a little bit skeptical, and let's get into that, because I meet so few people who are in it for the right reasons. And I think that's what's impressed me most of all about what you guys are doing. So let's talk a little bit about the immorality in the recovery industry. Sure, so um, I was just thinking about this uh, earlier today, all week actually, but um, so I'm from South Florida and I used to think that I was a very unfortunate person who never had health insurance. All my treatment centers were always public detox, public, public counties, public facilities. Nothing was ever paid for. And I was always like, oh, I never get to go to the nice treatment centers. And I like now seeing how everything is laid out, I, I'm like, I was one of the fortunate ones. I was, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and it's the same pattern. Everybody who went to that area of this country and did, it was the same thing over and over. Same treatment center, same sober living, uh, reoccurrence, back to the same treatment center, back to the same. And it would just go on and on and on and on. And now we're seeing it here in Southern California and all over the country, really. Um, but so now it's like a perspective change when you're looking at it. It's like, oh, maybe I was uh, fortunate to not have health insurance at the time and be put in a public facility. And wow. it's, it's, a, it's a shame that we're a community that, you know, these treatment centers will pop up and they're they're here to help, but they're taking advantage of a very uh, a very vulnerable group of people. And, and, you know, if you're in recovery, those are, those are my friends, you know, and I, I see them go in and out and in and out, and sometimes they don't come back out. Yeah. It's, I, I think, uh, you know, I know when I got to, well, a lot of what can happen is people go to treatment. And I mean, and certainly I think this was even more true 10 years ago. They would go to treatment and they were uh, they didn't have jobs anymore. So they started working at their treatment center. They started mm -hmm. as a they started as a driver. They looked around, and they went, Wow, people are making a lot of money here. And uh, this is not at all an indictment of uh, addicts, but sometimes that greed button can get pushed. And they're watching somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of work experience making tons of money and they're learning how to do it. And so these treatment centers just proliferated. I don't actually know right now how many treatment centers there are, but I think it's, it's over 10,000. How many? I think it's over 10,000 in the country. Yeah. And that's, that sounds, that sounds right. And you know, and the number of them that are uh, these, you know, these sort of luxury treatment centers that are 
you know, doing some sort of nefarious things. It's, it's a huge deal. It's in the news all the time now. Yeah. And you brought up, uh, you know, I'm so I'm in support of people getting jobs right when they get out of treatment. And, and if they want to be in that industry, you know, all for it. However, when you are bred into it, for lack of a better term, and these owners, you know, put them through detox, through the treatment center, through their outpatient, and then boom, put them right back to work. They don't know what they're doing is wrong. They just yeah. know it from what they've seen for the last 90 days. And all of a sudden, yeah, I'm going to work here. Now I'm going to learn this. Now I'm going to learn that. Now I'm going to learn that. And then all of a sudden, oh, what do you mean I'm breaking the law? And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a law that's not enforced. It's, you know, these patient brokering, the urine analysis scams. I mean, it's on. Uh, I don't want to sit here and say there are no good treatment centers either because they are out there. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I see it every day. Um, you talk to Ryan a lot. So you hear you hear about what we what we witness. Um you know, and then there's this mentality that, and this comes from the recovery community, that when somebody comes out and they die, they're like, oh, they just didn't want it bad enough. And I'm like, my friend was in your treatment center three times this year. He was in sober living. He was in the outpatient. I mean, to me, that shows like some sort of willingness to be trying things because I know that I wanted it a few times before I got it. Um right. But now those people will never get the chance to get recovery because they didn't make it. They wanted it, but that mentality needs to change. And, you know, we experienced some of that with, you know, all the people that were doing the Narcan trainings with. They were very open to us. They were very willing. But in the beginning, very apprehensive to allow uh, patients, clients, whatever the term is. I don't want to get anybody upset, but they were very apprehensive. They're like, no, because if they know we have Narcan here, they're going to use. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. But that's what, you know, uh, especially on social media, it says that people are going to get used more because there's Narcan available. When actually statistics don't show that at all. Data doesn't show that at all. But once they went through Chad's, you know, training on it, all of their minds certainly changed. And we're going to go back and do them again with the patients and clients. But it's very, they were very apprehensive in the beginning. Okay, let's just talk for a second about how illogical that is. The, the logic of that, that that's going to make people use more, is it is implying that a person, an addict, is like, well, I wouldn't use, but I'm going to use because if I die, I'll come back. What addict is thinking like that? You know what <laughs> I mean? Not- you're just thinking, I want to escape how I feel. I'm going to do whatever I can. Die? I don't know. I don't care. I, you know, and personally, when I was out there, like, I wouldn't want to be brought back. Like, that was kind of like, I was like, whatever happens, happens. The, the crazy thing is, is when you're dealing with Narcan, you're dealing with opiate addicts, you're dealing with heroin addicts. Narcan puts you into withdrawal. Right. I don't fear death when I'm using. I fear withdrawal. Right. So why would I want to, I'm like, I'm in... Chad pointed out, so he's like, I might actually do a little less knowing that you might put me into withdrawal if I fall out. And, and the real story is it's like we're not here to like – it wasn't even a discussion of will people use more, will they not. It's like if somebody's going to die, here's a tool to save their life so then they could try again. And right. unfortunately that's missed on some people. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up because I think you were in treatment with him too, Tom Sizemore, whose book I wrote. Were you in treatment no. with him? Okay, well, Ryan was. And this is in the book, so I can say it. Um, he told me that when he he was using heroin, if they heard somebody overdosed, 
they would go to that dealer because they're like, that's some really good shit. I mean, that's the logic that yeah, we're talking that's, about. I, that's, I've done that. Like, really? I, I physically have, there was, all right, quick story, but I went down to, deep into Miami one day, not where I normally would go, and I, I bought some. And uh, me and my friend, uh, we, you know, we used, he overdosed, and I spent a year looking for that exact guy in that exact spot, uh, trying to find that one thing that, that, that did that to him. And thank God I never found it again. But, uh, yeah, wow. I mean, I did for a year, like, compulsively, like, when I could, I would go down there. But, you know, that's the disease of this thing. It's like I, there was no logical thought to it. It was like, that was the best. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm going to find. No, it didn't work out that way. Though. Yeah. Well, I can speak for many people when I say I'm glad it didn't work out that way. Um, you know, what, one thing I wanted to I wanted to talk about is, okay, this idea of sharing our stories and this idea, you know, you guys help publish a lot of people's stories, right? Right. So that is something, the Voices Project is something where you're helping to tell people's stories. Have you seen people's recovery transformed or changed as a result of putting their stories out there? Absolutely. I mean, you, it, it's inevitable, really. Like, for me, I could just say, like, I'm, I, once I've told everyone, basically, I am, like, held accountable now. Like, people know that I am in recovery. And, like, I've, I'm always, I mean, for, the, for a while, I haven't been asked if I'm doing all right that, you know, they can see it. But um, it, it, it gives you accountability. It gives you a sense of purpose. And for me, like, I've been denied jobs. I've been denied housing. I've been denied all these things because of my, my past. Um, but when somebody actually gets to talk to me and meet me and I'm willing to not hide it anymore, it's like, why is, your, why is this gap in your, your employment history? Where, where were you? What were you doing? And it's like, no, I can explain it. I know it says that on the thing, but this is actually the situation, and I've actually like been able to get what I need to get done in my life. Um, so it, it gave me power, empowered me, um, and and I, you could see the messages that come in if you could see them. But when I see them and I read them, it, it yeah. definitely people are. It's always, you know, once once Ryan told his story, and then he told me we're going to go sit with this congresswoman, and you're going to tell her your story, and I was like, okay, that sounds good. Um, you know, it's it's like what it is like. What do I do now? What do I do now? That was great. What do I do now? And then those are the messages that come following it. So you know that it's working because people are like, "What am I going to do now?" I told my story. Where else can I go? What can I do to help? Right. Yeah. I mean, I've watched. Okay, Richard saying hi. Hi, Richard. Um, hi, Sarah. Hi, Raymond. Um, and Rodney. Thank you guys so much for chiming in. By the way, um, you know, if you guys have any commentary, Sarah's been commenting a lot. Uh, you know, on sharing your stories. Um, <laughs> did you <laughs> Ryan's comment? Um, so, you know, on your experiences, um, maybe if you have hesitations about it, you maybe don't want to put it in the comment because then I'm going to blast your name across the thing, but maybe that's just what you need, you know, to be forced out like that. But I know that I've seen in the 10 years or so that I've been doing this work, I mean, the number of bloggers and that there was nobody out there telling their stories. And now... We're in an era that we've never been in before, where uh, you know there are so many of us being public about it. So um, you know, I, I just read this interesting study where uh, people with uh, high blood pressure—go with me for a second—um, 
what heals them, hearing other people with high blood pressure tell stories about having high blood pressure lowers <laughs> blood pressure. Now, how boring is a story about high blood pressure compared to a story about addiction and recovery? So I think it's really interesting because like we don't just help heal ourselves, but we're helping, I'm not saying we are, but if you are someone who is sharing your experience, strength and hope or whatever it is, you're actually helping other people by telling your story. Yeah. And you become and, part of the, the, the community, like you're part of it. Like you, you're talking about, you're not alone anymore. And if you look at, there's, there's so many ways people recover, but the one common denominator in all of that is community. Yeah. It's always there. It's always involved in any sort of which way, whether it's religion or 12 step or, you know, whatever you're, whatever, however you find recovery, community is always part of that. Yeah. And um, Rodney is, is pointing out, first of all, one of the positives of social media. Absolutely. Um, and the positive of, of commenting on blogs, you know, to me, it just felt like this den of hatred. And now people are, you know, post such positive and supporting things. And, you know, as Rodney's pointing out, it sharing stories helps motivate other people. And, you know, hearing a story like yours, which I didn't actually know that you were in treatment multiple times and that you've been to jail and all of that, people out there who are going, well, I, you know, there's no, I've already been to treatment. I've tried. It's not going to work. So people like you who are telling those stories and going, yeah, I was in that position too and look at me now, I think is really, really important. Yeah, I did not get this on the first try. Um, and Raymond, I'm getting, um, so sorry, Rodney and Raymond, I'm getting you confused for a second, but Raymond had his gallbladder removed with no narcotics, wouldn't trade it for what I have today. A few days of pain is nothing compared to that life of misery. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, and Sarah is saying the stigma is that an addict is such a bad, sorry, and other negatives. When we share, we help our own and other self-worth, you know, and, and Ryan and I kind of got into it because I have a strong feeling that we should not, that we should be using the word addict. And I know lots of people don't agree with me on that. Um, but I think, I think my opinion on that is, I think it really depends on the audience. Um, we were sitting with a, a retired politician um, and he was talking to us like normal. And then we went into like, oh, by the way, I'm a, I'm a recovering heroin addict. And he's like, you're not a heroin addict. I know a heroin addict. He's got track marks all up and down, you know, his arms and, you know, drained life. He's nothing left in him. But because that's the perception that he hears when he hears heroin addict or the word addict, he, that's what he sees. So it's like maybe, you know, I, Language is important, and I guess it really does depend on who you're talking to. So I, yeah. I try to be mindful of it when I uh, speak outside of the recovery, but also in the recovery community, too, when, when somebody says, you know, I'm a junkie, and I'm like, I'm not a junkie. Like, I, I don't live that life anymore. So to keep saying that um, does not really reflect who I am, uh, because I'm not a junkie, for sure. Okay, well, here's one thing that I will, that I will say. Uh, you know, I used to go on Hannity and Combs a lot. And this is like a hot rod name right now. He always was. But Sean Hannity, the first time I went on, I was going on to promote Party Girl. And it was like uh, Paris Hilton and Lizzie Lou and all these people were making news for the, their party antics. And I said on the show, you know, as an addict in recovery, blah, blah, blah. And after the show, Sean Hannity takes me aside and goes, 
wait, you're a drug addict? It literally had never occurred to him that a drug addict could look like someone who wasn't whatever he had in his mind. And I'm not saying I changed Sean Hannity's mind about what that was, but I think it can be useful when you can sort of go, wow, this is a different vision than what you might have had. That makes sense. Yeah. Did I just sway you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm start getting towards wrapping up. Yeah. Uh, this has been so fun. Um, I'm so glad that you guys have been watching. Is there, Garrett, anything else that you want to say? Uh, was it not as bad as you thought it was going to be? No, it wasn't as bad. But I, I don't mind talking to you, so. <laughs> you kind of admit it. You had the best time. I had a great time. It um, wasn't that bad at all. Okay, well, don't say that or I'm make you come back. And then I'm going to make you get on stage on one of my storytelling shows. So just be careful. I got, um, I got a few funny stories. I don't know if I could get on stage, but. Whoa. Next show, September 15th. <laughs> I think I'll be out of town. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, okay. Well, listen, Garrett, thank you so much, you guys. Thank you so much for watching. Every Tuesday, I do uh, one of these chats, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. I am actually doing it on Monday of next week and not Tuesday because um, I'm going to be traveling, um, not that interesting. Um, and it is going to be with Lara Frazier. Um, and so tune back in, Garrett. I probably will talk to you or see you like tomorrow or something. Um, so thank you so, so much. I'm I thank you so much. Get it. Okay, bye. Bye.